0: Welcome to My Life, Chassidah applied. episode 251. We are literally a day before Chavzayin Adr, Chavzayin Adr Rishon, 27th of Adr, and the same kvias, the same way that 27 years ago, the sad and fateful evening when we all heard the news that the Rebbe had, it's even hard to repeat and say, that the Rebbe had suffered a stroke. And until this day, we don't hear his words. And his arm was affected as well. Almost exactly what happened to his father-in-law, the Fritikerebbe. And, uh, of course, two years and some months later, it was Gimel Thomas. So, on one hand, an extremely sad day. It's changed our lives forever. It's changed my life forever. Because all my life was about writing, remembering, reviewing writing and publishing the Rebbe's words. But a Rebbe is a Rebbe and does not leave us unprepared. And Even great challenges like that also have opportunities. So six weeks before Chavzai Nader, on Gimel Shvat, the third of Shvat of that year, Tav Bay, Beis, 1992, the Rebbe spoke of Sicha, which has been edited by the Rebbe himself and published, and talks about a stroke. And I had the merit to write that. At the time, no one understood why the Rebbe was talking about a stroke, about his father-in-law. Unfortunately, we found out. And that Sikh, to me, is a guiding light till this day. And I believe a guiding light for all of us. Briefly, what did the Rebbe say in that Sikha? He said that the doctor had asked the Fridika Rebbe why God would do that to him. His main mode of connection, his main mode of communication, which was... His speech, his words, his mouth, and his hand to write were unfortunately taken from him to some extent. We don't know the calculations between God and the Rebbe, but we're talking about what we see with our own eyes. He said the Fridika Rebbe at the time did not answer. And the Rebbe went on, which was, I don't know if it's an answer, but definitely explained, and said the first Rebbe, He was a man of no words. Aral Svasayim, his lips were pursed, his lips were sealed. Kvad Loshen, difficult mouth, difficult speech. Why? Why were they able to do that? And that's what Moshe used, as a matter of fact, as the reason I don't, why are you choosing me to be your spokesperson? The person who has difficulty speaking. To And later, Moshe would go on to speak, to speak to the Jewish people and become the greatest speaker for God in history. So the Pasuk says, nah Hashem responds, Who gives a man a mouth to speak? I do. You're be my. you speaking my words. I'm not looking for your mouth. I'm looking for my mouth, and you be the channel. The selfless channel. But why did it have to be that way? Because Moshe, as he explains in that sikh, and I encourage everyone to read it, it's the perfect sikh to read tonight, tomorrow. And that is that Moshe came from the world of thought. What Chassidus calls al the hidden world of thought. And thought is beyond speech. As much as you speak, you can't express everything in your intimate thoughts. The world of water. Moshe minamayim From water I drew him out. The ilm ha is the world of land. Things are revealed like speech. And that has a limited flow. So it's actually because of his greater quality is why speech came difficult to him. And that's what God wanted Connecting the hidden worlds of the water, the hidden worlds of Moshe, the hidden world of thought, and be expressed in Dibur. And if you need the technical part, the translator was Arun, will be your mouth. The end of the Sikh, the Rebbe says the following So when a Rebbe has a stroke and does not speak, those that heard his words have responsibility to be his Arun, to be the words to repeat his words, does not say their own words, to say the Rebbe's words. I feel personally, and I think this is a directive to all of us, but personally, this is what I did. I memorized, repeated, chizer, maniach, committed paper, published the Rebbe's words. So, though I didn't understand it immediately, but in time I realized that's my shlichus, and that's the whole basis of my my life, this applied, the basis of trying to be the best way possible. We all make our mistakes. best way possible, a transparent channel, a uh, seamless channel of the Rebbe's ideas based on the previous Rebbeim, based on Kol HaTeira Kula, the whole Tata, and addressing the issues of our time based on the Rebbe's approach, the lens through the Rebbe looks, of the Teira through the lens of which the Rebbe looks. And that's the basis. So besides being that Chavzai, I know that I thought it's appropriate as a tribute, I would say, and as a, com- and as a recognition of this Hira, this directive. So of course we would have preferred not to be this way. We don't, under- we don't understand God's mysterious ways, but this is what it is, so this is what we need to do. And I'm trying to do my part. There's always more to do, and I encourage you. And I think this is a directive. Yes, is a sad day, but it's also a day that redoubles and retriples, and we can re- recommit to our commitment to use our mouths, our mouths, and our arms and legs to express the Rebbe's directives, the Rebbe's teachings, the Rebbe's approach to things, to everyone we can reach. spreading the wellsprings to the outskirts, to the farthest reaches we can in the world, in our own sphere of influence and beyond. So it's a very clear directive, and it also will prevent us speaking about other things that we shouldn't be speaking about. What greater way to use your mouth? Who gives man a mouth to speak? It's God to use your mouth to be a mouthpiece for what Hashem wants as He speaks through His as He speaks it through His prophets, through His rebbes and that we, we are honored to be able to be an extension of that expression. That the words we use are words that are godly words and divine words. That address every partic- every possible issue in life. Okay, so that's a chesed applied to Chavzay I did speak about this in the past episodes seven and two hundred and five. As and it's a good opportunity to refer you to my life chesed applied, all our assets and uh, and uh, archives. If you go to um, meaningfullife.com/mylife. You'll find, first of all, the archives of all previous episodes. They also can be downloaded in podcast form and an MP3 form, and all the options are there. You also will find there the, the forum where you can submit a question or comment completely anonymously. And finally, there are also the essays that are there from previous years as we posed them. Tremendous work, people's contribution of applying chassidus to different life situations. And of course... I should not neglect to mention that we exist on your support. This is only possible because of community support, and that should also, therefore, give me the opportunity to dedicate this program in memory of Rabbi Yeshef Goldstein, Yeshef ben Malka, also known as Uncle Yossi, noted educator and gifted storyteller who inspired generations through his stories and songs, and whose site was yesterday, this past Shabbos, Chafei Odr. May his Nisham have an aliyah, may his children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, etc. have much atzloche and all, and all and all that they need, the gashmis and beruchnis. If you'd like to sponsor an upcoming program or a series of programs, just go to mylifemeaningfullife.com slash sponsorship. And thank you for your support. It's a great way to honor a, a loved one or the memory of a loved one or not a loved one. And I thank you again. Okay. I also want to mention about the contest. So the judges are busy evaluating. There's a lot of essays to go through. So my update is that we're just continuing the evaluation. We're still in round one, which means taking all of them and marking them all. Several judges mark them all blindly. They don't know whose essay they're marking. We have them in English, we have Hebrew, and we have in Russian. And then that filters them out to go to the next tier, the next round, and please, God, we'll keep you posted up, the updates. Okay, we also this week is also there's going to be Rosh Chodesh Adesheni, and Parsha So one short thought on that: Rosh Chodesh Adesheni, of course, is because of this leap year. So there's a second month. This is the additional month, but because of a particular lesson, Purim is in the second month when really it should have been in the first month because Mismach Guula Lagula. The Torah says Chazal say to connect Purim to Pesach. To connect, one gula should lead right into the other, which is a fascinating concept because you can think, so what's wrong with having the gula in the first month of other?" But in a sense, it, it shows that proximity matters, that there's a certain synergy, a certain power, that when you do things that are consecutive, that gives us strength. The lesson is very clear. Very often we take on a resolution, and sometimes it dissipates. But if you take on a resolution and you do something, and you right away do something, next thing and you connect the two, it's consecutive, it gives the first power, and they both, together, make it much stronger. So it's a really a practical, psychological lesson in life as well, that this in of smichus, the idea of connecting things that are close to each other, moving Purim to the second month of Adar. So right from one month you go to the next, creates a guladik mood, an agul, a guladik environment, an environment of redemption, a retirement of emancipation, freedom. And you could say Pesach is enough, Purim is enough, No. But both of them each have their own qualities, and that's one tremendous lesson from the, the Misma Lagula. In general, Adr is all about joy. Adr, Marbin Besimcha. When Udr enters, we increase in joy. When We have two months of Adr, we have a double, literally a double measure of joy. And when you add to the equation, Mail and that we constantly increase in anything that's good and holy, that means that after the first month, the first twenty-nine days of adr, thirty days of odr then we move into the next month, then you have even more, and it continues to grow, that will have a total of 59 days of joy. You can imagine what kind of height of joy. But joy is not just, as we know, just an external thing. Joy is a state of mind, a state of being. Al-Tareb and tanya in chapter 26 and on explains the power of joy and how to access joy and how it affects us all. When you have that sense of upbeat attitude, a type of gratitude, type of sense of of peace, not agonizing and aggravated, it helps everything you do is done better when one is with joy. In addition to the fact that joy paid together, simcha together, breaks through boundaries. When you have joy, you're not constricted and limited. You have that expansiveness that really be able to reach heights and reach places that often are difficult to reach on our own. So we should all have a simcha diqaadr and do our part in focusing on what matters and focusing on our mission. Joy is a direct correlation, direct outgrowth of humility. The more you focus on yourself, the less joy usually people have. Focus on what you have to do. You focus on what you have to do and you see how you accomplish it and you continue to you t- continue to strive for more accomplishment. That is what brings Simba. And Pekudai, the last chapter in the book of Exodus, the book of Shemais. So Pekudai, of course, means Meishe giving an accounting for every detail. So it's a focus on details. But it's also a focus on the conclusion of the book of Exodus, which is Sefer HaGaula, as the Rambans, Ramban, Ramban, says, it's the Book of Redemption. Because this concludes the building of the sanctuary, which was a follow-up to Sinai, to the revelation of Sinai, Matan Teda, which was a follow-up to Kriyas Yamsuf and Tietzies Mitzrayim. So it's a process, a process that began with the Golis, the darkness which led to the redemption from Egypt, Mitzrayim meaning from all our constraints. That was consummated and that was concluded with the parting of the sea. The connecting of the Almiddisqasi, Almidd's Gali that I mentioned earlier, the hidden waters, the hidden level the hidden layers, the hidden worlds of the sea, and they walked through it, Yomli Yabosha, that now you could have the most hidden was revealed like land. And that led to the consummation, the whole purpose of Yitzhis Mitzrayim is that by going out of Mitzrayim in order to serve God at Sinai the receiving of the divine mandate the blueprint and roadmap for life and that was consummated by the building of the Mishkin which was the actual implementation of taking that blueprint and turning it into a physical sanctuary using gold silver copper and all the other 12 15 13 15 materials and turning it into a home for God Shekhanti Besham God should rest among us in this material world fulfilling the purpose of creation which is to make a home a, divi- a divine home in this material world this comes to conclusion the end of Pekude after the temple is the sanctuary is erected and set up that's what we conclude on de uh, Nissen. and that's the last verses in the Pasuk say when the cloud would go down that's when the, that's when was the time to go into the mishkan. when the cloud would rise that was the time to move on the rest of now the Vayikra is going to be that the cloud now rested and this is where you start reading everything in Rosh Chodesh Nissen. God starts telling the laws of Vayikra and Karbonus. And this will continue until Parsha Baal when it says the cloud lifted and they began their journey through the Midbar. So it's interesting, the net, from here on through Vayikra, till Parsha Baal the third chapter in the book of Numbers, the next book is where the journey continues and it concludes at the end by Mase, the end of the fourth book, when they arrive at the east bank of the River Jordan. So it's a very fundamental chapter in that sense, chazak, chazak, venis chazek, concluding with strength and double strength and triple strength, con- connecting ourselves to the purpose of creation. So ask yourself the question, where do you stand in building a sanctuary of your life, of your heart and soul, of your home, of your family, of each room, as the Reb emphasizes, a beautiful sikhe, about how each of us have to build a mishkan within ourselves and within our homes. So that's the, the very obvious lesson of Pekudai and it consists of details. El Pekudai and Mishkin hear the details of exactly each part, each component of how we build this sanctuary. Okay. With that, let us move to a, a few questions as we usually do. Question number one is Hashgache Pratis. If everything that happens is orchestrated from above, how much free choice do we really have? If things aren't going well for me, no matter how hard I try, can I take heart that everything is in the hands of Hashem? Or do I still take responsibility for decisions that I made of my own volition? So I actually address this very directly in Episodes 195 through 198, in Episodes 124 and 125 additionally, as well as episode 186. I don't want to go over the whole elaboration because you can easily access it exactly as you're listening to me now. You can listen it to there. It's also timestamped in the YouTube, not the mobile version. On the desktop or laptop version of YouTube, every component, every theme, every topic, you can just go directly to. Timestamp means that you can go straight to the the minute, the hour, the minute in the program where I discuss it. But just briefly, we all know there's a combination here. Hashgache Pratis means that the God runs the show, obviously. But he allowed and suspended that Hashgache when it comes to our actions of right and wrong. Not whether you're going to walk down this street or you're going to do that. We're not talking about circumstances. But how you will use those circumstances when you're in a situation. Will you use it for the good or will you use it, God forbid, the other way is up to us. So we have absolutely free will. As the Rambam writes, it's a Yuseid Chazak, you say a, a fundamental p- pillar of entire Judaism because without that what's the purpose of life? The, all the laws of Torah become moot if we don't have free will. And th- th- there are books and books that discuss the combination how God's Ashroche does not impact us or it, 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 when it comes to these choices and we have that total ability of being a partner with God in creation. If things are not going well yes, Once you've done everything you can do, and you can say clearly, honestly, that I've done everything I can do, it's in God's hands. Sometimes we make an effort and it bears fruit. Sometimes we don't see it bearing fruit or it bears different fruit we may not see. At the end of the day, there's one God, and we don't know God's mysterious ways. But we have to do everything in our power. God blesses us in everything we do, meaning we have to do our action, make our keli, our vessel, our container, and then the blessings manifest. And God chooses it then, how it should manifest and what way. But there is a partnership here. A lot more can be said, but please, I refer you to those episodes. Another question, and these are questions, as I pointed out, have been coming in over time. I'm behind, but I'm catching up, hopefully. Well, of course, not always, because new questions are always coming in. But these are questions, so I want to assure you that no matter what, we will get to your question at some point. So just be patient. This next question is, light unto the nations. Hi, Rabbi Jacobson. Besides the seven laws of Noah, what, what Torah concepts can we transmit to non-Jews? How far can we go? Besides the seven laws of Noah, what concepts can we transmit to Goyim? The concept of soul and ined movade, meaning there's nothing else but God. For example, how far can we go? Can we offer to non-Jews your book toward a meaningful life? Thank you very much. Another question in that vein? Book recommendation. Hello, Rabbi Simon. Which spiritual book would you recommend us to offer to a non-Jew? So yes, I would tell you, Torah meaning Meaningful Life, absolutely. I wrote it exactly with that in mind. It was not meant to be only for Jews. It was an introduction to God and uh, to all people. And the point being that a person reading that would then continue to pursue a Jew. Obviously, the Jewish approach meaning, that not, I should collect myself, not the Jewish approach, but Torah the and Mitzvahs, the 613 Mitzvahs, and an Anjou, the Sheva Mitzvahs, and all that that entails in building a civilized world. So it's an excellent book to be used for everybody, and I encourage you to, to share it. And you'll see the reaction, uh, the proof will be in the pudding, as they say. You'll see the reaction in with the response of the people that read it. But that leads me to the answer, and here again, I spoke about this at length, in episodes 122 and 192. What exactly are our obligations, what we're supposed to teach non-Jews. And obviously, mitzvahs that are not relevant, just like you talk about mitzvah shazman grama for a woman, that's not what's relevant to her. So even though Tehra is, in general, a blueprint for all, but there's different segments. Same thing with non-Jews. It says when a non-Jew learns Tehra, he's like a coin gadol that goes in the Holy of Holies. Of course it says other places that a person a non Jew is not supposed to learn Tatras. So Rashi right away says Besheva mitzvah did who in his seven mitzvahs. And there's plenty. So when it comes to things like God and things like spirituality and things of choices of good and evil and right and wrong, obviously all that fits into it. I would say most of the Tatas, Hashkopha, really can be taught to a non Jew on that level. And I discussed it at length there. How far we can go, that's not a question that's easy to answer. Is there something you shouldn't teach? There's no concept that I believe you can't teach. Is things relevant to the non-Jew, some things may be more relevant than others. Remember also, everything is online today. So you could teach, but there are people who can just go and read on their own. And I can tell you for myself that there are many, many non-Jews writing, writing to us and responding to us and reading the idea that there's a God, that you have a purpose and you have a destiny and you have choices to make and you are here to bring the world to a place of filling the world with divine knowledge as the waters cover the sea. And the Ramam's words, <laughs> that the business of all the world, which of course includes the nations of the world, which is the majority of the world, will be only to know God. So of course, that includes, in my view, all of that, Deus Hashem, in my view. If you go to page 230 in volume 13 of Akut Siches, there's a whole bunch of footnotes that also can tremendously help and understand the Rebbe Shita. And this, quoting particularly, there's footnotes on the end of Hilchah Shmita of the Rambam, where he says, mm-hmm. Not just Shavit Levi, the tribe of Levi, but mm-hmm. every person who dedicates his heart commits to a life, of godly life, can be like the holy of the King the high priest going into the holy of God. In the Zenskadesh, Kedish Kadashim. Look at those notes on page two hundred thirty in volume thirteen of the Kutisikis and you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. And yes, from there it's apparent that you can really go very far. And of course, like in any case, every person according to their level. So that's my brief answer. Ideas of Enid Mawadi, absolutely, that all of existence is really divine. Shayukh and that all of existence is based on the energy, the consistent energy, the persistent energy that God constantly infuses in existence is all part of the picture, no question. And, uh, of course, that has its own depth. And, again, refer you to the episodes I just mentioned. New question. Anti-Semitic attacks and safety. How do we address the issue of anti-Semitic attacks and safety? Dear Rabbi, thank you for your weekly share on chassidus Applied. We are so grateful for the generosity of your time, and the sharing of your Torah knowledge, of your Torah knowledge, and for your practical instruction on living a Torah appreciative Hasidic life. My question has to do with a recent video posted on the website about public anti-Semitic attacks. We know from the Rebbe that we dispel darkness with light. Chanukah is the primary example. We do not change how we dress or how we behave because of bullies or haters. We think, we think, speak, and act accordingly to the preferences and dictates of Hashem. But how do we address the issue of safety? I saw in the horrifying video young people being physically endangered and even badly hurt. Even if accompanied by an adult, their safety is at risk. Can you address this in one of your broadcasts? Thank you. So first I refer you to episodes 29 and 31 that that overlaps and relates to this. But I'll address it very directly. And this, of course, is a question not just regarding now, in general. We talked before about divine providence. And we talked that the God protects Shem Yishmir, Tzeish HaVayecha, especially Israel. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't be prudent. The same God that protects us also gave us intelligence and emotions and wisdom and says, be wise. That's part of my blessing to you. So we have to do everything possible. We don't leave our doors unlocked because we have betachen and trust. Because unfortunately we live in a world that is not yet a perfect world. There are criminals. There are other forces, haters, and so on. So betochen is not a contradiction. To go to the extreme of tremble and just walk around in fear and have completely as if there's no world, there's no God, God forbid, protecting us is, is the other extreme. To go around hiding our identity or trying to somewhat minim- is also accepting a betochenefesh, you know, when there's a really life danger, life in danger. But overall, we go with an attitude. We walk proudly. We walk with our heads up high. And we believe and trust. But at the same time, we're prudent. Yaakov Avinu had to meet Esau. Right? Esau, and he was afraid. And he found out Esau was ready to go to war. What did he do? He didn't just prepare one way. He was prudent. He was wise. He prayed to Hashem. He prepared a bribe to appease Esau. And he prepared for war. Just in case. He ended up, the first two were, necess- were, were enough. That's how we have to approach things. You do what you have to do. You don't have to go walk and be reckless, walk late at night alone, young people or anybody, especially when there are people lurking around. You have to be prudent. But that doesn't mean as well that we are constantly trembling. There is a God that's protecting us. And together with our prudence, as a partnership with Hashem's protection, that's how we deal with things. Nothing to be frightened about. That's not the way to think. We, we, I mean, you combine, God runs the show. However, we have to do what we have to do. We lock our doors. We put mezuzahs up on our homes. It's a shemira. But it's like the Rebbe says, a mezuzah is like a helmet. It protects, guarantees. Only God can knows what the destiny contains. But we have to do our part. We have to make the keli. That's the way it works. And the combination of the two is what is ultimately what has kept us here. And look, the Jewish people have not just survived, but thrived with this dual approach. And unfortunately, there are times, there was a Holocaust, no matter what they did, it didn't work. These are things that are beyond us. But that which is in our power, I only mention that, not because we're never going to have that again, but just to give you an extreme example. So in our case, I think it's a very clear d- dual approach, and that's what we do. You daven, you prepare, sometimes you have to, the police, you have security, a burglar alarm, other things that protect us. And you also do. It, you also, if necessary, when it's necessary, you have to battle these forces. And hopefully, we don't have to rely on that. We can. The first two things will work like it did with Yaakov. Okay. Another question now. Bodily illness. What kind of body would a person be more thankful for? Okay. Just making sure that we're on the right track here. Good. I'll start with an example that will make my question easier to articulate. If two, individuals, if two individuals build a house, one with bricks, cement, and a foundation, i.e. the traditional way, and the other constructs his out of cards and ingeniously manages to complete the whole structure, while the latter accomplished a much more spectacular and brilliant feat, that will draw many onlookers to express amazement and marvel over it, there's no question that those same onlookers, when faced with the choice of where to live, would choose the former structure, which carries a greater guarantee of lasting, over the latter, which will collapse from the first gust of wind. The human body works in the most ingenious way, with a seemingly infinite amount of factors coming together to make it work. And any little part that goes awry can wreak havoc on the whole thing. This obviously attests to a creator who devised this system in a most brilliant manner that is beyond our grasp. Indeed, the process of relieving ourselves and the subsequent blessing we recite serves to constantly remind us of this. However, there are unfortunately thousands, hundreds of thousands of ailments and diseases that afflict people all over the world, most of which the majority of us aren't even aware of. And the hundreds we do know know about are horrifying enough. Wouldn't the blessing of Asher Yotzar as the blessing we make after we um, go to the bathroom. Be more meaningful and effective if the human body wasn't so fragile and vulnerable, like the house of cards in the example above, though an act of genius it is. But instead, it was much more durable and foolproof with only a limited amount of things that are able to go wrong and to protect against, for, against, against, like the boring but more reliable house of cement and bricks. Wouldn't people be more thankful for a body that is not just such... not such a brilliant creation, requiring so many things to go right and therefore faces fewer risks and threats. Obviously, I'm not saying it should be a body where nothing could go wrong, though that would be amazing, wouldn't it? But just that the staggering amount of problems that people face seem to highlight the body's fragility more than its wonders when working properly. Obviously, this question is asked with the intention and the spirit of wanting to learn, not to complain. I added the parenthetical comment after writing that my question isn't there, isn't that there should be no sicknesses at all, though wouldn't it be amazing if that was the case, but that there doesn't need to be so many really infinite things that, one should, that things that one should have to guard the body against. So just to reiterate, the question isn't why did Hashem create a body like this and not like that, but rather to summarize in one short sentence, doesn't pointing out the wondrous and mind-boggling way the body works and reading Asher Yotzar lead to anxiety and one wishing it wasn't so precariously complex instead of feeling gratitude? Thank you, for, thank you very much for addressing, for addressing this question. So to sum up my own words, since God created the human body with such amazing design, why did he allow it to be so fragile? Okay. okay. Interesting question. But I do have to say that we have to begin with the question, why not create perfection? Because if God's doing it already, why have to deal with any disease or illness? So there's a few points here. First of all, Let's start with a medrash, a uh, an aprikadas, a uh, a Asked Rabbi Akiva, if God wanted, if God wanted to have um, circumcision, why didn't He create a, a child, a male child, circumcised? And Rabbi Akiva answered with an analogy: If God wanted us to be able to make food, why didn't He just give us prepared food? Why do we have to prepare it and spice it and, and all that, that goes into it? Grain. We have to first grow the grain, and then you have to cut it and thresh it, and turn it into flour, and then mix the flour with water, and ultimately turn it into something that is a um, bread or other baked goods. And the answer is because it says in the pasuk, "Shabbaralasis Call Kol Lasis and the major says, Lasakin. Great God created the world in a partnership. He gives us the resources like a good partner does, and we have to develop the resources and make them accessible and available. So it's a partnership. That's number one. As a partnership, there's always the risk that the partner may not do it completely. And that can cause, obviously, problems. As we see, God put Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, perfect paradise, but the Tree of Knowledge, they ate from it, and that caused damage. That, like, punctured a hole in existence and caused, actually, death and illness that brings to death. Why? Because God said, if you, don't, when you, if you don't eat from the tree, you'll live forever. Why? Because the body and soul would be completely aligned. There'd be no reason for the soul and the body to separate. So all this disease and illness is actually a result of human actions. Now, we can't blame an individual, but collectively, it caused a puncture. It caused a puncture in the whole picture and therefore was, uh, caused a disease and illness. When Mashiach comes, the future, that will be repaired and the world will go back not only the way it was in the beginning but even better. So that's number one. Number two, the whole existence, that the way God created it is that there should be work for us to do. I'm extending the first point but a little more developed. So when you talk about the human body, yes it's true when the d- disease Rahman al-Islam, God forbid, strikes, is devastating. And the a way it oversh- overshadows all the beauty of design. But let's not kid ourselves. Even when there's disease, 99% of the human body, look at it. Look at the power of healing. Look at so many other factors. So I've, every see when devastation is in front of your eyes, you don't even notice. But the fact that we breathe, everything that goes on, I would argue the opposite is true. Things are far more designed, far more healthy children born than unhealthy ones, far more people living longer, and look how we've done with medicine and so on. Extended life expectancy. And all the miracles of medicine, of course, all with God's blessing and God infusing us with the wisdom and the ability and infusing properties within nature that we can access to help healing go along. And it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's exactly as you put it. It's an unbelievable design. Could it have been less disease and so on? It's exactly the way God wanted it to be. We follow guidelines, the guidelines of Torah. Protect your health. And as the Rambam describes in Hilchus Deis, that creates the keli, the container for living a long life. But eternal life and perfection, as I said, is in the do- domain of doing what we have to do to correct the world and then reach that level. So I don't th- we are not here to question how God did it. You're saying, why did Hashem create? That's not your question. But in a way, it is the question. And when we do say Hashi we're focusing on, yes, exactly that, how the body works miraculously. The whole process, even, eliminating waste and the nutrients remain. Something to marvel at. So I'm not sure what you're asking, should I I be be changed? I'm pointing at I'm looking, reading your question. So I think it's about focusing on the positive and realizing the gift of life. Unfortunately, there will be moments that people go through colds, illness, and other things. God should protect us all from that. But that still does not take away from the marvelous world in which we live and the beautiful life that we can build, we have to continuously focus on the positive, and even when there's illness, even realize that too can be healed, and then the day we do our part, as I mentioned earlier, and God does his part. We must focus on our part. We cannot control what God does. We can only control we, how we react, and I think that has to be the approach. Even when a person has illness, be upbeat, to be confident, that also adds to the immune system. When you have guests, when you have visitors, you have people who love you and care about you, you don't feel lonely. You don't become demoralized. All that's part of the healing process. Okay, next question. Talking about puberty with children. I'm a father of 11 children. I listen many times to your talks on the Chassidus Applied Venue. I must say you're a breath of fresh air, always making so much sense and always bringing the view of our Rebbe our nasi out very clearly. I first would like to thank you for that. I wish you many more years in good health to continue this unbelievable, stunning work in showing the light of Chassidus and particularly the light of our Rebbe to so many people. I would like to ask you the following. As my sons are growing up and they reach puberty, I was always not sure if and how I should address this issue with with them. I come from a background where this issue was never discussed. It was only discussed what a big sin it is to touch there at least not in a civil and normal way, and I wish it would have been discussed when I was growing up. I always wanted to ask my Rav and my Shpia how to address it, and being a busy person it was pushed off, and at this time half of my kids are grown up, and I didn't want to continue this the same way to my second half of kids. So I recently approached my Rav, one of the esteemed Rabbonim in our community, and he advised me that I must speak with them, about it, Because if I will not, they will get it from a different source and possibly from not a Yiddish and Chassidish perspective. But he did not give me the specifics how and what to talk to them. Being that I once heard one, on one of the episodes of yours the way you explain different things in this area, and it was very good, I don't remember which episode it was, I thought you will definitely be able to guide me what to, to and how to talk to them. I wonder if you had an episode that this, where this was discussed or any other source or book I can read to have the right words how to discuss this. This email was written many months ago and wasn't just sent for the same reason I didn't do it a long time ago, also being a procrastinator. But this week I discovered that my 13-year-old son went with a friend and got himself a smartphone. Of course, he hid it from us, us because knowing he wouldn't be, he wouldn't, we wouldn't allow him to have it, also his yeshiva wouldn't allow it. And when I checked what he was looking at, I saw all kinds of sites of porn which was visited so now I really need to speak to him. Would you be able to advise me how to go about it? Thanks, thanking you in advance, a lost father. So yes, I did address it, and here the episodes. Episodes 8, 59, 213. I'll say a few words, but I'd rather trust that you go look there, because I discussed it at length there. It's a sensitive issue, and it's really case by case. But yes, it should be spoken about. Comes, we're talking about boys. Girls is a different story. They go through physical changes in a very blatant way. And mothers should do, would do well to speak about it in the proper way. I'm, I'm not going to talk about that right now. But boys, being that it's not as so-called affects their lives in quite the same way, even though it does, but not in the most blatant way. So your question is a very good question. As I said, I addressed it. So the fact of the matter is children will go through the changes as they mature, puberty mature into adults as the hormones start racing and have all kinds of effects. The key thing to always remember is positivity. God created the human body, not man. And God only created beautiful things. There's nothing about a human body, even including the sexual organs, that is, not, is ugly or disgusting. The fact that people have such perceptions because they pick it up that way and they, their attitudes are distorted. We have to always tell our children in a very su- subtle, sensitive, and... Modest way. Every part of your body is holy. Selam you're in the divine image. Now, there are certain organs and certain parts of the body that actually God created even more special. And we can even call them the holy of holies of your body. Why? Because that, those are the parts of the body that allow you to have children, to bear fruit, to bring eternity. K'echa ensof in the language of The K'echa ensof So those parts of the body are particularly sensitive, particularly holy, and like the Holy of Holies, it has to be more carefully watched. That's why they're covered. That's why you trust them, you, you look at them in a much more... You, you, the perspective on them is far more sensitive, far more modest. When you use your hands, for example. Your hands are to touch the outside world, to eat, to grab things, to work, and so on. They're also sacred, but they don't have quite that same type of power. So explaining that, even at young age, I wouldn't begin very young, but when a child, you really sense... Either the child is explore, exploring or the child is experimenting or the child is asking questions, every child in their own way. And at each age, according to that age, I elaborated more on those episodes, but the positivity is critical because most people have a negative attitude. And there's many reasons for that. Our society, the way other religions look at it, a necessary evil, our own guilt, etc., etc., what's projected upon us. So infusing and preempting, preempting, those negative images is to look at it with a positive way. And yes, and this is the things to protect. One day you'll get married and you'll use this part of your body with the spouse that you marry in a sacred way and bring a beautiful family into the world. Will we have temptations? There are temptations. There's nothing wrong with talking about that. And, but like anything in life, there's temptations. But we have self-control and discipline and restraint. And you channel the energies into hopefully positive ways. Will people make mistakes? yes. As we say, as the Rebbe emphasizes time and again, we don't live with guilt. You move on. And you try not to focus on these things, even if there's a setback. So that's the brief gist of it. And, and, and uh, as I said, go to those episodes before you speak to your son. And God bless you, you should be able to have the right words. Words from the heart enter the heart. And I would not focus on the negative, even on the porn. It's always best to preempt it by talking about the sanctity of it. Mom is like Holy of Holies. Once it's a holy of holies, you automatically have that attitude. You're not going to bring in a uh, sharetz, an impure thing in such a holy, sacred place. At least that you'll know that's the standard. And the person will strive to be the best they can in that direction. Okay. One more question before we do some follow-up. What is the meaning of the verse? Well, let's start with this. In Scharia 13.2, Yud Gimel it says, And it shall come to pass on that day, says the Lord of hosts, I will cut off the names of the idols from the earth and they shall no longer be mentioned. And also the prophets and the spirit of contamination I will remove from the earth. Why are the Navim, the prophets, included in the same passage with Lahavdal idols and Ruach Hatuma, which is contamination, the evil spirit or, or negative spirit. And why are the neviim being removed from the earth? I thought that all Eden will have nevuah when Mashiach comes. We'll have prophecy when Mashiach comes. Okay, very good question. I'm surprised you didn't look in Rashi. So Rashi right away says on the verse, Nevim, because it's an obvious question, Nevim, fake false prophets. That's what the passage is talking about, which is also obvious once you read it. So this is, of course, the famous passage, but you were talking about the first half of it. False prophets take on many different shapes. were the, The false prophets of the time of the Bible, and the Torah talks about it. The are false prophets throughout history, and the are false prophets today as well. These are people who either are complete con artists or actually have certain powers, certain strengths, and they use it to, to exploit or for their own personal gain or in very corrupt ways and so on. So yes, we're talking about a corrupt spirituality. So the Torah is saying that when Mashiach comes, there'll be the erasing of all the negative forces, all the different idols, man-made idols. It could be include money, golden calves that we build, and also the false prophets, all those that are presented and misrepresent and um, the, what, what uh, spirituality is all about, what God is all about. So that goes together with Ruach That's what makes a perfect world. So the answer is quite straightforward. It's true there will be prophecy. There will be good prophets. The, prophets of the prophecy of Gula itself is a good prophecy. And yes, it says that or the, all the children and the boys and girls will be prophets themselves. But we're talking then, prophets, good prophets, meaning expressing God's will in a humble and modest way and a pure way, not in a contaminated way. That's the brief answer, and that's that. Okay. Follow up. Let's do a few follow ups. So, firstly, mic drop. Mic drop. I've got plenty of comments and uh, more than I can read, obviously. They're mostly positive, a few a few critical. Um, as I said then, I say again, I'm not paskinning anything here. You go to Rabbonim for that purpose. I wanted to give perspective, the Rebbe's perspective whenever dealing with an issue like this. And uh, at the end of the day, we have to go to Rabbonim, our Mashpim. And what I said was that they have to look at the situation itself and address it in a direct way. Now, there are things that not always have to be addressed simply either because it should be more one-on-one. Not everything has to come out as a statement. I said, So some people said to me, it's not what Xayda, it's something that was just upholding previous edicts. Yeah, but I meant, I meant it in spirit. I'm not talking here to be semant- it's not. Don't take every word I say specifically. I meant Xayda here, that they're coming with Xayda. Like I mentioned, the one smoking. Not to smoke, because not everybody can stand up to that. Not everybody can, can implement that. What I meant is there's a spirit to that. That leadership has to always be sensitive to what people can hear. That doesn't mean we change the halacha. That doesn't mean we change the standard, God forbid. But you have to look at the situation on the ground when you see a lot of pain and suffering. And you see that people are turning, let's say, to things that are not even uh, right halachically. So you could just ban it all. And some people may listen, but you didn't address the problem. The people are still needy. And they're still going there for a reason. They're hungry. So leadership... Rabbonim included, have to look at what can we do to help relieve the problem. I'm, I'm not sure why you have to spell that out, but the fact of the matter is, unfortunately, Tehira has two parts to it. There's the letter of the law, there's the spirit of the law. The spirit of the law never contradicts the letter of the law. But the letter of the law, without understanding, the fifth Shulchan Aruch of common sense, having experience and maturity, as it also rules in being a rov and a Chavir in Sanhedrin, as the Rambam paskins and so on, is also necessary. Chochmah, wisdom. Wisdom means taking the Torah and knowing how to apply it in every given situation. Knowing what should be said. When is restraint necessary? Sometimes you have to let people work it out themselves. You give them certain guidelines. This approach, that you go to a Rav and he's going to tell you black and white everything, is, can also be very destructive, frankly. Ay, it's halacha. But it's also applying halacha to given situations. This is a big part of I mean, I, it goes without saying. Maybe I have to spell it out, so I'll spell it out. Common sense is a big part of here. But not common sense, God forbid, to compromise, but common sense how to present it. You have children. Different children have different needs. Why darke? Why don't you say derecha Whereas the Rebbe has a powerful sikh in Tov Ches Azria. I believe it is. The Rebbe says, what do you mean What is the which is the path that a person should choose for themselves? The tater's path. How could the Mishnah ask such a question? And the Rebbe said it comes after Patek Aleph After we know tater, Meshach, Kibbal, tater, Messinai We know what it says in Shulchan Aruch Then comes, how do you integrate it and internalize it? Adarkei, the child's way So it's tailoring it It's not following a child who's telling you what the tater says So this is basic Approach to all education, to all inspiration. Now I know there are some people who have a knee-jerk reaction because they see different people being lax. They see people cutting corners. They see people justifying all kinds of behavior that may not be appropriate or is borderline. So they jump, to go to the other extreme that we have to put a clamp down and be tough and strong. These are the guidelines. You may be right in principle, but will it work? So you'll say, what do you mean? Who cares if it works? That's the truth. No, there's emes and there's chesed. Chesed, emes, ma'i yitzirua. Emes is what the teda says. But you should need to have chesed as well. Because with emes alone, the world can't exist, as the Medrash says, because the world is filled with shkarim. So how do you take the emes of teda and put it into a world that has Shkad? Which means has lies, deception. People don't always want to hear something. Why is the concept of a pshari? What do you mean pshari? You go to a din teda, is a compromise. Either you're right or you're right. The idea of a compromise is, is that both are, is, is a compromise makes both p- people maybe satisfied. But is that right? Where's the MS, the pure MS? Because Taylor recognizes that human beings are human beings and a compromise will make, they'll be able to live with it. So Tepshad is a derech and Taylor. Either Taylor's black and white MS. It can't be that they're both right. I say, you owe me $5,000. You say, no, I don't owe you any. Or, I owe you 2000 Compromise, pay me $3,500. The officer says, and that's that. But, that, but we both agree that's not three and a half thousand. It's either five or two, or whatever the numbers are. Because Teda recognizes that you have to apply it in the proper way, and that and when I Rav Passages that way, it gives it the HaTeda. So Rabbonim and leaders and teachers and scholars have to be more than just book smart. They have to also be people smart, and apply the Tera without compromise the right way. This is an answering to a lot of people who had that type of, you know. You have to know when to climb down. You have to know what we, who you're talking to, what the situation is. And sometimes you put so much focus on one detail and the whole big thing is missing. There are people doing things that are so inappropriate that everyone agrees is inappropriate. And what you're focusing on is like that there's a, there's a, a hanging toenail. It's like they say, re, re, as, as uh, the discussion is, the argument is, how, do, how will we rearrange the deck chairs as the Titanic is sinking? That's also important to know that there's a bigger issue at stake. Again, that doesn't mean that two wrongs make a right, but you have to have proportion. You see somebody sinking, you don't start saying, you know what, where's your yarmulke, for example. Anyway, I think a point is taken. Let me just read a few comments. One, I'm not saying my drop is right or wrong, just I would tell you to listen to some of the people involved being interviewed on a podcast purely for clarity purposes so you just know the history from the founder himself. It's a long interview, but he really explains the whole institution, particularly what is mic drop and what is not mic drop. Although I myself don't know the right approach and I am dying for the past few weeks to hear yours. But please listen. I honestly do not think you can say an opinion if you do not listen. It is the only time that the founders of this mic drop gave a clear definition and description for mic drop. So first of all, why are you suggesting I didn't listen? I still stand by what I said, that it is a commercial enterprise. And it's fine. But we have to know that, and when you look at something like that, it could always taint the objectives, as I discussed. So, I'm not sure what, I, what more I can add to that. Number two. <clears throat> to me, it seems that these women are being used as a fuel for an entertainment medium that feeds an audience, rechilas, lashonhara, and shemra This cannot be compared to group therapy, where all the participants speak and help each other, There's no one being used out for entertainment purposes there to an audience. Okay, well, again, it's case by case. I don't think it's always that way. People have a right, adults, have a right to do it as they see fit. If it's something that they go to a Rav and a Rav says it's not right, I agree that people could be used and exploited. But that's part of the equation that we have to address. But again, I would do it in a balanced way because there's always a, a certain line where you can seem like sensational. And of course, we don't want to cross that line. But remember, we're talking to individuals here, to adults. What's the point? If we even say that this is correct, if people are buying into something and they sold it to them right, the question is, that's why I said you have to talk to and Moshpia, objective people, to see if this is the right thing or not. Again, I'm not going to rule on the whole thing because I could see merit, I see also negative things, and we just have to have a balanced approach. One more comment on this. Dear Rabbi Jacobson, Following the mic drop issue and a subsequent letter signed by many Chabad Rabbanim, I came to the feeling that that some of the websites, um, which present itself as the voice and informative channel of Chabad, is being run by private people with their personal agenda and views involved, thereby not having an honest and objective approach to all relevant issues. But many times, inputting their personal interests and opinions using this public platform, trusted by the Chabad community as their website to express their websites, to express what they feel right, manipulating the public and the public's opinion, just like other media channels in today's society, as well as making their own decisions on what standards, halakhically and ashkafically are to be forced on the large public. How can we ensure that it stays neutral and loyal to the truth, the websites, that is? And how can we ensure that we, the public and our children, don't let ourselves be influenced and manipulated by that? It did give me a bad taste to it. It is wise or foolishly simple to stop using these websites. Thank you, Rabbi Jacobs. Look, we live in a world where there's a lot of media out there. There's a lot worse than what you just described. We mentioned before porn. I don't want to even mention it, but I'm mentioning it just to make the point. There's a lot of negative things out there. You have to make choices, especially for your children, adults. Now, to say that a website that represents, I don't know if they represent anything. They represent they're trying to do their job. Are they perfect? They're not perfect. You have a choice. That's the customer who has a choice. You don't have to watch or go to a website if you don't want to. I don't think there's a thing called just villainizing and demonizing websites because the people who demonize also have agendas, perhaps. So if you want to talk agendas, let's go across the board. We all have to strive for trying to be as objective as possible. Credibility. I come from a house of journalists. My father was a journalist. Credibility is based on transparency, trying to be the best, being accountable, acknowledging mistakes, and and just doing the best you can be. Is it perfect? No. There are commercial interests. Do you put an ad in, for example, that may, some people may not like? And the problem here is, as I said, everybody here has issues. And when I start seeing witch hunts in all directions, I right away jump back and say, one second, you want clarity here? Let's all step back. Let's stop demonizing anyone. You want to have an issue, bring it up in a straightforward way. I see too much tainted both directions, and I think most people in the silent majority would agree and you start getting turned off by everything. the critique is not the original thing may be criticized, and the critique you can criticize, and where you 're left with it becomes these these teams, these opposites just, are just just people offending each other, and you don 't get anywhere and just leads more confusion. So I think we have to just lower the volume, look at things very straightforward. you have an issue, write about it. We have a public forum, you can write a comment, you can submit something to an editor, and hopefully they 'll be accountable and they 'll share instead of becoming a witch hunt and then forbidding, and so on and so forth. I just think that doesn't work. And when you try to boycott something that doesn't work, it makes you weaker because it shows you have no power. That doesn't mean you don't have issues. Bring them up. On the contrary. I mean, that's my balanced approach, and that's how I think the Rebbe would approach things. There's a teiret, there's halachit, there's masbim, there's chassidishkeit, there's common sense. We have to join all that together. And one more final comment on this. Regarding what you explained last night very eloquently, which means last week's episode, I was hoping to hear from your take on certain individuals criticizing the rabbis' psak in public before going to speak to them privately. My opinion is that any future issues people have to know that they have a right to question. But before doing it in public, if at all, go quietly and talk to the rabbis. Why wash your laundry in public? That has become the new trend and the must-stop. Hope to hear your response next week. Have a great week. Yeah, I totally agree. If someone has a critique of rabbonim, uh, you always can ask Mehechin Dantuni. The Rebbe has written it many times and spoken about it. Has them to explain, and maybe the explanation will be adequate. We all have that right to go in public necessarily and, and challenge or attack. I do not agree with the approach. Just for the record, what I said last week was not an attacking anything. I was pointing out the guidelines, and I'm not challenging or questioning any psaq. But you could all ask the questions in a respectful way and hopefully get more clarity. As I said, I'm making it clear. I'm not coming out and saying it should be a different psycho Should there be a psak or not? That's a good question. That's what we need to discuss. But I agree it should be addressed privately, and especially if someone said something, you're always right to question and talk to them. Like I said before, same thing with the media. Everybody can be held accountable, including myself, and which is why I read these letters and I have no problem with the critique. And I appreciate it. And um, so there was another letter, or more than one, that talked more about the whole issue of mixed seating and the issue of women speaking before men. Look, this is, even though the Rabbanim Yes addressed it in a few lines, it's a much bigger issue here than just coming out with a statement. You're dealing with the reality on the ground, and just a letter is, I don't believe, going to make the difference. Because people are doing things, and you need to talk to them. We need to know. It's not just pikoach nefesh, say shluchim, very distant are doing it. No, in New York, and not so distant, it's a common thing. And there's more to say on this topic. I don't want to go into all details. Not everything is meant to be said in public. So I'm not going to go into details. But as I said, we need a combination of teda, haloch, chesidus, and what I believe chesidus is also common sense. That's what I'll say about that. I'm not going to get into here a discussion, a polemic, on the nuances of halachas in these matters because we may all agree on the halachas. It's all about how to apply those halachas to our times in a way that will work. Now, it's true, sometimes you have to make a macha. A macha means a protest, even if it won't work because that's what the Tatus says. But that too has guidelines. When to do it, and how to do it. And there's guidelines for hechiyach, techiyach, how to rebuke, how to admonish someone in the right way. So I don't want to go in further detail than necessary. Okay. There was another follow-up, and I'll do the another follow-up about, you know the other follow-ups I'm going to do in the following week because of time limitations. Let's go to the Chassid's question. Will the roles of women and men change in the times of Mashiach when feminine energy will be greater than male energy? Another person writes in a similar vein, what's the limit for a female to have the last word? Have men lost their power, that power? Have roles Chazrushalim switched? Do, do roles Chazrushalim switch because of the male of a woman? According to Chassidus, when is it abuse to the husband and kids? <laughs> okay, I'm only smiling because I see it being addressed in a different angle. So yes, we know the famous Chassidus that talks about to save of Asis that in this world, before Mashiach comes, masculine energy, the Mashpia, is stronger, and there are many reasons for that. In the Lost Lavi, it says in the Kevet that the Keyah HaMakabal, the Eir HaMakabal, will be greater. Because then it will be a purer world and it's more Atzmizdik. So the question is simple Will that change the actual roles of men and women? It will change men and women roles in society in social standards, but not the way the Teda wanted it. The Tata created Zohar Nekev HaBar some God created male and female. And actually, the concept of Hui Yimshalbach, that He will rule and dominate over you, the female, was a punishment, it was a curse. So once Mashiach comes, when, that, when the, all the curses and all the negatives will disappear, we'll go back to the balance of a male and female, Shbi and mekabel, like sun and moon, and completely complementing each other. Without competition, without one saying, I'm better than you, both are necessary, absolutely indispensable, two halves of one whole. And each one having its strength. The dominant strength of the feminine will arise because we'll see the mile of the mekabel, the mile of malchus is lower than the other spheres. Right, but it says Teres <laughs> that when Mashiach comes, Mashiach Malchus is rooted in Keser, in the Etzem, and that will be revealed. So someone said, "Let's reveal it now." No, because to reveal that mile it itself needs to go through the Mashbia. Like siddur speaks about this, the Rebbe speaks about it at length. That Tera, even though Tshuva is higher than Tera, Tera is Megala the mile of Tshuva. Sometimes Mitzvah is higher than Tera because Misoik actually Mitzvahs are rooted in Keser, Tera is rooted in Chochma. And wisdom. But that itself is revealed. The power of Rots and the power of Etzem is revealed through Teda. In other words, reveals the mile of the Yesh in the language of Chishis. Yesh is existence. Yesh amiti, yesh anivri. Al Rebbe says in the Geras that only the yesh the only the physical material yesh, that senses that it has no source. God forbid. It senses it has no source. It's self-made. That's rooted in Atzmus, then actually has no source because whereas all the higher levels of yesh, all the levels of Eir, of atzillah, zbiri, yitzirah, and all the higher worlds, all the way to lifni they all sense their source. So someone's going to come and say, oh, that's the case, a yesh is higher than Eir." Yes, in etzim it's higher, but it has to be revealed. And who reveals it? The Eir itself reveals it. So if you want to apply that to Zacher in a cave, the Zacher, think of it like er, Mordechai telling Esther guiding her but it's Esther Karka Elam the Yesh so to speak the Malchus that achieves it and it's called Megillus Esther so we reveal the Mile of the Yesh so you need both one does the revealing one is the Etzem itself and of course there's overlap there's Etzem in a Zacher in the masculine energy and there's Giluim in a feminine energy but overall we talk about the feminine energy being more powerful in that sense because the Atzmizdika power that it has Kfud the that will be emerged and will be revealed when Mashiach comes so the roles will be because bitl will dominate. So it's not a matter of competition. The roles will be that everyone will appreciate each other in the proper way. As far as what you write about lost power and so on, look, if it's a situation where a husband and wife are having difficulties, I would not bring a citizen to this. I have to go to Arov or to Mashpia and talk about what the issues are. And It's hard to imagine that the whole issue is that the woman thinks she's going to be dominant because Mashiach says in times of Mashiach that will be the case. The male is arguing a chassidish point that 8 is higher if it was just that I'm sure you could find Sholem Ba'is but it's usually more than that when you're dealing with you say abuse husband and kids so that really needs personal help and it's hard to do that on a, in a generic way here so speak to someone that you trust and, um, and hopefully work it, work it through okay well let's conclude with the three essays what are the three essays here we are first one's I am my own greatest enemy shedding chassidic light on destructive behaviors Countess Rivka Al-Kahim, age 67, United States. So this is essay still from the previous contest while we're evaluating this new essays of 2019. There have been, so, so Rivka Al-Kahim writes, there have, been many, there have been countless stories of death and destruction recently, too many. The pain is real, and it seems as if, unfortunately, those horror stories are becoming more prevalent each day. This essay is not meant to be a scientific paper analyzing destructive behaviors, but we'll attempt to give advice based on the teachings of Chassidus and how we can come to terms with this plague. And with God's willing and with God's help, reduce it until the day very soon when all sorrow and negativity will cease with the revelation of Mashiach. She goes on, a very methodical way to describe destructive behaviors, their root causes, the id against the id, the dangers of abuse, the culture of narcissism, Chassidus on human worth, Hashem's expectation to us, reframing, all these issues in a very practical way. I, I was very, very uh, inspired by this essay and with, of course, a conclusion with very well annotated. So I commend you for this. I really highly recommend reading this essay. Well done. And it is posted at MeaningfulLife.com slash essays or slash my life where you can find all the essays. And uh, The new essays that are posted week after week as well as if you subscribe to our email list to our weekly newsletter, we send out the updates when these essays are posted. Okay. Next essay: You are your struggles. Sarah Malka Fox, age 19, Pretoria, South Africa, a student based Chayyim Mushketzvat. And she writes: The many waters come gushing at him. The many waters came gushing at him, each one with a heightened force and each one with an ominous name. She gives a case, a, case, a real case scenario of a person dealing with drowning. And describing all the details, this essay will answer the question as to who we truly are, the capabilities that we have, and why these problems complement us in the most affluent way. This will be expressed through Hasidic concepts from Tanya, the Maimar Maim Rabim, the Maimar Eina Kedr Baruch, Hu, and other Hasidic ideas in dealing with challenges. And the different sections here is you begin, I can't. I don't feel I can. The response, yes, you can. Why me? Yes, you. You are not alone. Oh, I'm sorry, I skipped a section. You are, you, you are your struggles. You're not alone. Practical applications. So again, a very good essay, well annotated as well, in addressing a very obviously common problem using chassidus. And again, I'm continuously amazed at the different creative ways people are responding to real issues all using chassidus. God bless you all. Now, one more. Every moment, a renewed creation to celebrate. Baruch Elkins, age 55, 58, Buffalo Grove, Illinois, working for the NPD group, executive director, think tank. Okay. The best manner to begin this humble work of, uh, the, which is is to quote the first seven words of the Holy Torah. The Hasidic concept of continuous, uninterrupted, and unending creation by the Eberster, by God, so beautifully presented by the Altarab in chapter 2 of his Tanya, Shaya, Yehudah, is so important to contemporary life, so critical to my life and your life. And he goes on to do exactly that, taking that concept in Shai Yechid renewal, perpetual renewal of creation, perpetual creation, and applying it to real life and showing how it applies to paying attention to every moment, recognizing our huge responsibilities, identifying explicit explicit items of the day when you bring Chassidus into your life, And brings real exercises. Breathing, attentiveness, listening, perceiving, absorption, thankfulness. Very good essay as well. All these essays, excellent. So I commend you as well. And with that, we conclude this week's episode of My Life Chassidah Supplied, episode 251. Everyone should have a very Frey and Simcha Dikechidosh Adr Sheni, which includes Purim in a few weeks. And Simcha sachaim Life, Simcha of Life. As well as using Chav tonight, tomorrow, in the fullest way, being the mouthpiece, spreading Chassidus, Teda, Yiddishkeit, virtue, Chesed, Tzedek, and Yesher to everyone we can come and reach to the day that we will fulfill, as Mashiach told about Shem Tov, that will bring us in Mashiach. Everyone be blessed. Have a very Simchadikah week. Thank you so much.